Welcome to episode 18 of Unframed, a podcast which hosts talks and conversations about South African art and artists. I'm your host, Anthea Pakroy. Today's episode is another recorded talk from the Art Fair Week in September of this year, 2019. It was recorded at Art Joburg and is a conversation about the great and influential David Kilwane, who passed away at the age of 81 in June this year. I was so happy to hear that this talk was happening at Art Joburg, as I was planning an episode remembering the life and work of David Kilwane. Both speakers, art historian and curator Tembinkosi Goniwe and Goodman Gallery curator Justin Davey, worked intimately with David in the last few months of his life, pulling together his prolific and profound body of work for a major retrospective exhibition. Fortunately, David was able to see the first incarnation of this exhibition at Iziko National Gallery in Cape Town in June this year, but sadly would not live to see its second incarnation at the Standard Bank Gallery in Johannesburg, which opened just last week and runs until the 6th of December. Thank you to Art Joburg for allowing me to record this talk and to publish it on Unframed, and to Tembing Kosi and Justin for an insightful and poignant tribute to David Kulwane. In mourning the passing of David Kolwane, former president Thabo Mbeki described Kolwane as an outstanding artist and a loyal fighter for the liberation of South Africa. This has in fact been elaborated on by Kolwane where he says, and I quote, my concern in socio-political matters and contributions to the furtherance of disadvantaged black South African artists during and after the apartheid era is evident. My work can be said to reflect the socio-political landscape of South Africa, both past and present. The socio-political conditions created by the apartheid system of the government have to a large extent transfixed the human condition as the axis around which my work evolves. The human figure has become the icon of creative expression. End quote. Those are the words of the formidable David Golani. But of course, this socio-political aspect of David Golani should not, however, take away from the fact that besides being a devoted fighter for the liberation struggle, he was just so much more. Born in Johannesburg in the township of Alexandra, Ntate Golani, as he was affectionately known by others, had a career that spanned over 40 years. Throughout his career as an artist, he also wore many hats as a mentor, an art critic, a scholar, and a curator, amongst other things. Ndate Kolwane, as many of you may know, was also one of the founding members of the Bag Factory, one of the most resilient cultural institutions that continues to give oxygen to the contemporary art space in South Africa and the African continent. Leading this panel discussion today on this monumental figure, David Kolwane, is artist, art historian and curator from Rhodes University, Mr. Tembingosi Goniwe, gentleman seated right there, and joining him is curator from the Goodman Gallery, Justin Davey. Can we please give them a round of applause? And they will ensue the conversation. It will take about an hour. And in the last 15 minutes or so, we will engage in a Q&A session. Thank you. Gentlemen, over to you. Th thank you, Tavang, And uh, thank you for 
coming, you could be somewhere else, it's Sunday, you could be in church, you could be looking at art, but we really appreciate your time coming here. Uh, Tabang has made a comment about David, uh, whose career started later in his life, starting in the 70s, and mentored by the South African artist living in exile, Louis Makubela, who also encouraged him to work with uh, the late Bill Ensley in the 70s. And David, where, yeah, he had many caps as an artist, as a curator, as an initiator, as an educator, as a mentor. So I'm struggling where to start. Perhaps I should ask Justin, because what we've done in the last uh, eight months or so is to produce an exhibition that is a short survey of his work. And I had a fortune of working with Justin, who represents the Goodman Gallery. And he spent most of the time, David's uh, last months, so visiting him at the hospital, also visiting him at his house, also looking at the work. Perhaps Justin can help us to say how was it to spend those last months with David. Thank you, Tembi. Um, thank you all for the opportunity to speak. Um, and sorry also for being a bit late. Um, I think we can be encouraged by the words of Abdullah Ibrahim, um, who speaks about uh, arriving with perfect timing. Um, and I'll use as, uh, that as an anecdote for my late arrival today. Uh, but also, I think it's an it's a interesting metaphor for David's life. Um, he started um, studying to be an artist or you know, training or in earnest trying to be an artist um, relatively late in his life compared to uh, contemporary times. Um, and, uh, but he didn't waste any time once he started going. Um, he was, as, as Tembi and Tabang have said, he was a multifaceted uh, creative person, not only in his mark making and his art producing, but as a curator, as a thinker, um, as a writer. Um, and that brings me to the next metaphor around time, which was, um, as Tembi mentioned, um, this retrospective that we've been busy um, putting together. Um, many people believe that it's way overdue, um, uh, but I think we somehow got there just in time. Um, David was, um, was able to see the exhibition that we curated in Cape Town. Um, so I think um, I'd like to use that lens, maybe the lens of time, to, to think about, um, about David's work. Um, a lot of the, the themes and the subject matter that he worked with um, he engaged with over a long period of time. If you think about uh, the dogs, Mgodoy, which, which were there from the beginning right until the end, um, his engagement with the cityscapes of Johannesburg um, and the stories that he's told about how Johannesburg has changed um, from the apartheid times to now. Um, so I think that's an, maybe an interesting place to start, Timmy. Yes. I want to... <clears throat> I've proposed to think of David as a, as a modernist artist, although he was reluctant to accept that in a conversation I had with him. By modernist, I mean someone who's concerned with modern times, someone who's concerned with the city, because David's preoccupation was Johannesburg. 
the cosmopolitan. And of course, he's not only just a modernist, he's a belated modernist. If you think of that project, um, <clears throat> whether you look at the likes of Celsus Courtness, for example, you look at uh, Emma, uh, Emma Stern, I'm just mentioning South African artist. And then if you want to cross uh, <clears throat> abroad, you look at Picasso's, you look at Matisse, all those artists who dedicated to, 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 to paint the, the condition of their time, and David was one of those artists. But as a reluctant modernist, David spent most of his time searching for a language to, 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 to draw and was invested in map making. And if you look at his work, you'll find this, this constant search of this language of map making. And at times, you'll see the struggle because he didn't have like what one would call formal education in terms of tertiary. He worked with the likes of Bill Ensi, this kind of uh, organic teaching, mentoring, which later he translated himself in, in, in educating other people. But also David went to study as well formally because I think he's the first in South Africa to, to, uh, to, to, to have uh, a museum studies in the 80s when that was not heard of. Of course, he didn't talk about that much. And in addition to, to, to that, he also, David wrote at a time where there were few black writers in the visual art space. You know, I mean, there were likes of uh, Manaka, Matsamela Manaka, who passed on, uh, Selbim Vusi, I'm talking about uh, the 80s. And David made his business to write about the artist, in particular the black artist. And among many things he talked about in his writing is he criticized them for being trapped in the social economic that were produced by apartheid. Because one of the things apartheid did, apartheid didn't want black people to see the world beyond that so-called township. And David was one of the like a really, really hard critique of, of that so-called township art. At the same time, where he was wrestling himself with that kind of imagery to move out of it. So you find him criticizing the stagnation of that, and yet you find him working with the same imagery in different ways. And throughout his life, and also he committed to, not only to make art, but also to set up institutions, because he believed in education. Also, he believed that artists need space. So, so the, the Tupelo workshop is one, which is well known in the 80s, which he founded with uh, Bill Ainsley. Because what Tupelo was important about, it was a time again when black artists were stuck in this so-called township imagery, but also stuck in the figurative, where they were not experimenting much about whether the material or the kind of different images. So what Tupelo did, it offered artists about two weeks just to, 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 to enjoy you know, the liberty of, of playing with material, to discover things. And, 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 and that made the breakthrough in terms of the kind of abstraction art that came out of, 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 of the 80s and the kind of language that, that artists began to explore because the, the workshops were more experimental. Tupelo means uh, uh, learn, you know, uh, by, by being involved. It's, it's, it's one a name. But I want to read that more like uh, in, in James Baldwin's notion of breaking bread. You know, it's more biblically breaking bread. So when we come together, we break bread, we eat. You know, I mean, remember Jesus Christ, the Last Supper. You know, he brought the 12 disciples and he, he, broke, he broke bread with them. They ate bread, they ate, drank wine. Eh? They got drunk, yeah. But David, uh, so I think that's what Tupelo was, this breaking bread. 
this exploration, discovering. Artists were forced to get out of the routine in order to come out with something which managed, because if you look at artists who came out of Berg Factory, the likes of Lionel Davis, for example, out of Tupel, I'm sorry, Petruk Mautwa, Sam Tlengetwa, Kea San, and many other artists who went to those, even like the late Kurensi Sali, you will see the shift. And of course, that project was attacked by academics at the time, because they didn't see it. They thought it was an importation of the American abstraction, because uh, that was the model. But it's only now that we are realizing its impact in the South African history. And for me, that was the last moment, in fact, in a sequence of moments that I, I call them modern development in South Africa. Before that, you'll get schools such as Poly Street, where like the likes of Cecil Scottness, uh, together with Sidney Kumalo, Ezram Lechaim, who were experimenting. And before that, uh, <clears throat> there also the early generation, the likes of uh, Sekoto, Mangoba, Pemba. So Tupelo is the last, for me, institute that managed to give a different uh, kind of visual image. Of course, it built out of uh, what was happening in the 70s, especially with the BC influence, black consciousness influence. So, so that's David. So we've titled the exhibition a visionary, a, a resilient visionary, because David constantly persisted. He never gave up. To, to, to not only to make art, but also against all, to try and build this institution of men's in Tupelo is one. And early 90s, he also set up the Beck Factory studio at the time when South Africa didn't have the idea of studios. You know what I mean? So, and uh, just to finish, sure. so what you find with Beck Factory, similar with Tupelo, they will invite artists outside of South Africa. And some people have read uh, Beck Factory and Tupelo as a gray area, meaning that at the time when segregation in terms of race, was so strong, but those spaces, of course, starting with Bill Ainsley in the 70s, that's where like uh, uh, artists of different color will commemorate, will work, will, will influence each other, and so forth and so forth. I just wanted to pick up on um, something uh, which, which doesn't get talked about enough, I think. Um, if we think about Tupelo um, in relation to David's mark making specifically, um, and we had a we had a conversation about this in our in our discussions around the the exhibition in general um, about how do you how do you describe David's style how you know his mark making um, and I remember that the, I mean this conversation will stick with me that um, the words that you used were that he doesn't have a filter, and it's, it's a pity we don't have images here, but there are some works on uh, Goodman Gallery's booth, so I recommend um, you go and have a look after this. Um, there are two um, drawings of, of the dogs, Mgudoy. Um, you spoke about David not having a filter, um, and by filter I, I talk about a, you know, a certain kind of training or education, um, and perhaps David had an alternative education to... Uh, some of the other so-called modernists of the of the 70s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, um, and that there, there was this unmediated um, mark making from from David's thoughts and his mind to his to his hand. Maybe you can elaborate a bit on that conversation that we had, Tembi. Want me to reveal our secrets now? <laughs> <laughs> I've said David struggled. He struggled. Because as I, as I said, he didn't have the formal training where you go to art school, how to look and how to, 
to do, to look at things formally. And if you look carefully in his work, you'll find that things, David cannot make one mark, one stroke, and something just come to life. He had to constantly search. And my reading of that is both a struggle, but also is this persistence of searching, of experimenting. So partly there's something naive about it for those who are schooled in terms of the affluence or education elite. But also there's something refreshing about that because what it does, unlike the formally trained artist, he comes from the other side of it to find his own way, forces in his way. So that for you to engage his work, you need to spend time because there are layers and layers. So what I was saying to Justin is, it is out of this wrestling with the, with the surface. Even when David paints, you could see the paintbrush is like similar like a pencil or like a ball paint because it doesn't like depend on strokes of the brush. He has this kind of investment in lines. So even when you look at his painting, so jokingly when I was saying, I said, there's a struggle here. Yeah, you could see the man at, at paints. And David is one of those artists who go to studio from 8 o'clock or 10 until 5. He constantly work. You know, even his last day, he was still working. And I find that very interesting, this kind of search in terms of suffers. But what it does also, it creates these so-called multi-layers that he doesn't settle for anything. And there's a beautiful story, Sisbongi Lomo told, that once they came to David, was working on this piece, and then this client bought the piece. They left. When they came to pick up the piece two weeks or months later, they couldn't identify it because David, David have worked on the piece. That was the kind of artist David was. So the piece have changed from what it was. So even the like uh, of the young artist, Blessing Goben, who have the fortune of working with him, they can also testify that. You know what I mean? That's what, uh, that was the kind of David was. But also another aspect of David is his writing, which we've mentioned that I said earlier, not only critique, the so-called township, but also he critiqued the institute, which was so racist in South Africa, which still remained that kind of a dominant white setup. But what he did, he has a way of, David is very gentle. He, he, he has a humor. You know, I mean, he, he speaks subtle, but yet he raised issues at a time when no one wanted to talk about them. And, and so now, as we are looking at uh, his work, but also as we are reading some of his writing, we, we, we discover this kind of, it's like a discourse, you know what I mean? And David also died, yes, he was constantly writing. Justin and I were the fortune of getting his writing that were not published, where he dedicated some text to artistic work, whether it's Bill Ensley, whether it's Nadine Godima, many other people. So he, he was that kind of, that's why I prefer to call him as a, as a modernist in that sense. Um. Maybe just touching on his writing, um, we, I mean, we had, like you said, we had the privilege of, 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 of going through um, not everything yet. I mean, it is quite an extensive archive of writing. Um, but just to, to give you some of the highlights, there, there's some really, some, some gems of, of, of writing in there. David, um, as part of the Tupelo and the Triangle uh, Network, traveled the world setting up um, art spaces um, from India to Cuba um, to, uh, to New York. Um, and he's written about all of these experiences. Um, I was fortunate enough, actually, when David passed away, um, I was actually in, in, in New Delhi at the, at the time. Um, 
and it just so happened that they, they would set up the Koj artist residency. Uh, so I was lucky enough to go there and, and pay tribute to him um, uh, while I wasn't able to be at the um, memorial service. Um, but as Tembi said, we are working through these, uh, these texts at the moment and hopefully um, in the next year or two we, we are looking to publish um, this extensive archive of texts. I don't know if you want to talk about how th those texts uh, might be curated mm. or edited together, Tem and Kose. Before I talk about the text, I just want to add what you are saying about uh, the, the, the setup David uh, did uh, with Bill Ainsley and others. Because when uh, Tupelo started in the 80s, they also transported the models to places like uh, Mozambique, Zimbabwe, Botswana, and I think uh, Bill Ainsley died coming to in a, uh, in a car accident driving from. So to, to think of David as this resilient visionary is also to think of a man that who pioneered, who kind of transgressed these boundaries that now we are wanting to open in Africa, especially within the southern. And this is at a time when even most South African artists, they didn't know their neighbors. They didn't travel. So what Tupelo did, uh, David, is to go and say, if we are South African, a part of the continent, we cannot only speak of the continent as, a, as an imagined space. We need to go and set up these spaces. And they went there, they reproduced these models. And they didn't only like uh, reside within, uh, within Africa, as, 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 as Justin say, they went as far as India. So otherwise, David was this kind of, that's why I call it modernist, this kind of uh, the, the, the international, he has a global vision, as much as he was based here in South Africa. So that is important to remember. And also David believed in collaboration. We attribute so much to him, but when you speak to him or you pay attention to this interview, he always attribute his accomplishments to other people, which is true. Whether the first person who mentored him, Louis Makubela, even after Makubela, it was uh, Bill Ainsley, and also when he met uh, the sculptor, Anthony Carr, who came here to set up with him, uh, he helped him to, to set up the, the Tupelo again with Robert Loder. So David was this kind of collaborator. So he believed in this community of, 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 of not only creative, but also different uh, minds. So it is that person we are trying to, to work with, which is not easy. In terms of the exhibition, in terms of the writing Justin is asking me to talk about is, of course, what we did in Cape Town, we put only 81 works. This was before we knew it was going to pass. So we wanted to celebrate his 81 years uh, of being alive. And then unfortunately he passed on just 29 days after his exhibition opened. And many people have celebrated that thanks David have seen his show before he died, which is always said in South Africa that most artists are celebrated when they are gone, in particular black artists. I want to take a different view. For me, that's the painful thing to die when you are just getting a stage. When it's time to see your work, when it's time to watch people looking at your work. So I don't want to celebrate that. In fact, I want to mourn it. Why we have to wait for them to die or why David have to have only 29 days to, for his uh, exhibition to be alive. I would like to shift that because even when we are listening to, to the president, uh, Tawumbeki, they celebrate this, that David saw at least. I said, no, he didn't live to, to die to see his work. He should have lived to see like many other artists in South Africa, the likes of Kenrich, uh, even the late uh, David Goldblatt, we have a fortune of seeing the exhibition traveling around and listening to people talk about it. 
So it is sad for me. I think I don't think it died happy. You know that 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 my, that's my thinking. So let's not celebrate that because he saw his exhibition in Cape Town. In fact, we should make a fuss about that so that other artists who are still alive, who are in a similar predicament, they can be celebrated while they are young, they're just still alive. But back to the exhibition, what we are doing so far is to prioritize David's artworks. That's what I've said with the show. It's just to allow people to see the work. Because one of the things that black artists suffer from is we don't discuss their artworks, we discuss their lives, their biographies, their struggle, their difficulties. You know, whereas for me, I said, let's put the work, let's look at what David contributed. David is going to be remembered by all these things I've mentioned, but what is going to live and outlive us is his work. We remember Da Vinci or Michelangelo because of the painting that they left behind, not the kind of life they lived. So it is that we have tried to do with the show, is to give priority to the artworks. And of course, there's a writing also we are working on. In fact, Same is here, Dr. Same Mvulu wrote a beautiful piece on David's writing just looking at what David said, but also to think around his own issues. So the catalog is coming, I think, uh, the 24th of October. So the exhibition is opening on the 4th of October at the Standard Bank. And then on the 6th of, of November, also we'll have a show as well at WEM, the Vets Arts Museum. So we are trying not only to celebrate David, but also to ask people to, to dialogue with David's work. Yes, the writing, I've been sitting with them, I've been going through them, and it's... I'm still struggling because it's, you know, we have conversation, we interview David. So we're trying to extract as much from him because what we wanted to do with the show is to allow his voice. Part of the curatorial strategy I adopted was not to curate for him, to curate with him, as I do with most of my shows. So not only to consult with him, but to ask what it is that he would like to see in his show. So he's passing now. He has just kind of affected that kind of modeling of thinking. But of course, the writing is going to come out, hopefully next year, if not the year after, because what we are working on is also to, to invite people to write about and on David's work, but also is to publish David's writing so people can have a fortune of reading his own words. Um, the one point, I, I mean, I agree with you. Um, part of the reason why I asked you to mention, um, to talk about his mark making is because precisely no one gets into the nitty-gritty of, of his actual practice and style. Um, and another aspect um, which um, I hope all of you will be able to see uh, when you visit the exhibition when it opens at Standard Bank, um, a series of works uh, which really stand out for me um, are a series of assemblage works um, made during the decade of the 90s, um, maybe even starting from the late 80s, I would say. Um, and I, I want to talk about this assemblage because um, sort of the knee-jerk reaction, and it's been my knee-jerk reaction, is to compare it to the assemblage movement of the 60s in the, in the, in the United States, if you think about Robert Rauschenberg, uh, which was a favorite of mine when I was, you know, coming up through high school art history, even university level. Um, so there's, the, there's a superficial link that can be made, um, which I think is already quite interesting. Um, but perhaps the, the, the reaction to, to, or the trend towards assemblage came about for different reasons. Um, in, the, in the 60s, there was, a, you know, of course, the, with the advent of conceptual art, uh, there was this revolt against formalism and, and, um, 
and perhaps David uh, and, and his contemporaries like Pat Mutlawa, um, their trend, trend towards assemblage um, was precisely a revolt against this category of being a two-dimensional township artist. Uh, maybe we could talk a bit about that, um, Tembe Nkosi. Yes, uh, the, the assemblage also it moves uh, beyond the, the, the 60s. If you, you trace it back, even the likes of one way or another, Picasso at some time it, with the Cubist and all of that, the kind of collage. Or if you want to go to the, the, the Russian artist who did those kind of the constructivists. So I think also you can even go to the US, uh, the likes of uh, 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 Romian Baden, for example. So it's not only David to work with the collage or the assemblage, as, as, as Justin would say. Also his colleague, like Sam Etwa, is known for that. Also, if you pay attention to Pat Mautra, who's like less celebrated, and some of one of the greatest painters we have here, and his work with materials, this kind of collecting, and also Kiasan, who have worked with paper construction. So these guys are coming out of the school of this so-called assemblage. So, and yes, that was affected in particular by Tupelo, because one of the things Tupelo did, it was to experiment with materials, to ask what materials can do in terms of as a language, as a medium, as a form, right? So, and David managed, of course, at the time of the 80s, he was mainly paintings only in the 90s that he began to collect things and, and, and assemble them to create this. When you look at those artworks, you'll find them at, at, one, at one level, they are like three dimensions, they're like objects. They're more than painting, right? They're not only just uh, a two dimensional, though they tend to be on, on the wall. So I think that's, that's a great thing uh, one can look at. And also we discovered things that we didn't know for the show. I remember Justin uh, pulling things from the, from the garage that David never showed. And that's a beautiful thing about this retrospective. These work are not mainly coming from the lenders. Most of them are coming from David's collection. Most of the 80% of the work on show are David's own works. Of course, we did have a, a greater... Uh, loans from, uh, from private and also from like public institution. But most of the work were coming from David's own uh, collection. And this assemblage, maybe you can talk because you're the one who really brought into my attention. So what you see in those work, I don't think Justin, these are superficial links. This is what South Africa has been suffering. That it's easier to make comparison for white artists. It's easier because not only they are Europeans descendant, they have this kind of heritage they can claim without a blink, but when we have to talk about black artists in relation to Europe or America or Asia, even Latin America, we have to always make this disclaimer. To, to link David with Rashenberg is not a superficial because David read widely and he traveled. So he was in conversation with these other sites. So we should read him in that context, not as a, a superficial, uh, <clears throat> what you call it, comparison. So I just wanted us to, 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 to address that. And this is one of the beautiful things to think of David. Also, there's a beautiful uh, group in Nigeria that was formed around the 60s, uh, art society led by uh, uh, Ucha Okeke, for example. They invented languages. I think I'm now reading, for example, Tupel on David in relation to those development that were taking place in Nigeria because what those artists did was also to search for a language, to invent a language, to name their own production. So Tupelo is not only a name of the workshop, it also framed the particular production that came out of and the artists who came. So if we were to write history as an art historian, Tupelo must be seen as a movement, 
Similar would read Police Street as a moment because the likes of Cecil Scottness, Sidney Kumalo, Ezra Mlechai, you could see a particular visual kind of register that is shared by a number of artists. Because if you look at Scottness's work in terms of the panel, you look at Ezra Mlechai, you see a, a kind of, like SP, I'm sorry, you could see some relation. These guys were in conversation, right? You look at uh, Sidney Kumalo's captures, for example. They were also looking at the likes of uh, Henry Moore and other so-called non-South African artists. They were looking also in West African sculptures to find new language. And of course, Europe has been doing that with the likes of Picasso, even the, the, the Gauguin. They have to go out of Europe to discover not only what you call it, the exotic images, but the language. So David in the 80s is doing the same thing, to go outside of South Africa. And fortunately, uh, he was penalized for that, which is good, you know what I mean? A great friend of mine, an art historian who passed on he passed one day to rectify that history, to say, I, 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 I got it wrong in the 80s. Because remember, Tupelo was attacked, especially by academics. As interesting now, even when we are doing the catalog, when you read the likes of uh, Stephen Sack, who are writing beautiful essays, uh, Ricky Barnett and others, revisiting this moment. When you say he was, he was kind of attacked, was that because um, he, was, he was breaking with um, the mold of, of other, let's say, black artists at the time, or because he was, you, you know, was he? What was the reason for that? That one, one, two reasons. One, as I said earlier, Tupelo was seen as an as an as an, an import of American abstractionism. That's one, and two. Remember, the abstract expression movement was accused. There's truth in that. There's also not truth as part of the CIA project. So they saw it as part of that kind of propaganda penetrating South Africa. The second argument is that also, remember, the whole, uh, what is it, Americanization of the world with Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher. So it was seen as part of that kind of America, for example, like what they call it, McDonaldization of the world. So that was the critique, which is valid at some point, but what they failed was that artists appropriate and also artists, in order for them to grow and stretch, they have to go outside of their boundaries. This is not new. Whether you read about the European artists, if it was not, let's say, the guy who discovered uh, the perspective, Pronalechi, uh, he had to leave his own town to discover somewhere else. So what I'm saying is, for black artists, they are penalized when they do that. Because they must be confined, they must be contained, they cannot be part of the world. So that's what I was trying to say. But thanks that David insisted. He never bowed down, he continued. It's only now that we are catching up to see the weight of that project. But that project didn't start only with Tupelo. As I said, it started with Bill Ainsley, who, was, who opened his house. We invited like, uh, even the likes of Dumile Feni, uh, William Kenridge. These artists used to work at, uh, at that space. So in other words, David was advancing a certain kind of cause. I don't know if I'm answering your question. So maybe another thing we must talk about is, is how then should we continue David's legacy? In what way should we keep his ideas alive? In a way that we are doing with, with Goldblatt, in a way that we are doing with Picasso. And of course, I want to thank Manja, I want to thank the fair for giving this platform. This is one way, but I don't think it should end here. So it, for me, that would be great just to think of how do you keep this man's ideas alive? Because he didn't only make art, he created institutions. We are told it's 50 minutes, 
is your time to ask questions. Ladies and gentlemen, if there are any questions at this point, very insightful reflections coming across from this panel, uh, but crazy. You talked earlier about this idea of inventing a language. Uh, I think it's interesting for me that uh, some time ago, you yourself participated in a conversation with Uma Bacha, and he was also talking about his drawings uh, that he did with Dumile Feni in the 50s, and how he said during that conversation that they were also trying to find a language. Now, I'm just interested in your thoughts about how, for instance, the map making or the aesthetic more than the subject matter or more than the methodology speaks to that search for a language and what that language does in a in a in a <clears throat> in a context of a South Africa that is uh, where the where the uh, black majority is marginalised. How does that uh, how does that become political? How does that link to, for instance? Um, uh, uh, black consciousness, and I'm trying also in the same with the, with the same question to address the exhibition that Same did uh, around the black aesthetic. What's the connection between the black and the aesthetic? By the way, that's Kwezi Kule, the curator, chief curator Jag. Thanks, Kwezi, for your complicated question. Yes, the language. All artists, I think, the priority for any creative is to discover a language. The way we speak, I think the best way to answer a question, if you think about jazz, you think about improvisation, the kind of grammar, I think that mark making, this kind of assemblage, the collecting of, of, of material and turning them into something that are meaningful, it is that kind of language. But of course, David's language, it has something of, uh, uh, of, of what you call, it's, it's somber, it's somber, it's, it's, there's something, uh, uh, it's unsay said something like that is troubling about it, disconcerting. Maybe that's a word, gloomy. That's a word. You know, even when, for example, it's not only the dogs. David is always celebrated for the dog. David painted birds. He went to the park. You'll find a series of birds in painting, in drawings, in etching. You know what I mean? So it's not only the dogs. But what I'm saying, when you pay attention, the way you treat them, there's something disconcerting, something that gloomy, as if in his words, uh, which uh, Tabang have read, because he was concerned with the human condition. The human condition that is not favorable. And Jobek, as much as it's vibrant, as much as it's diverse, but also is suffocating. You start to see that in that. It is that kind of language. Similar when you listen, let's say, to Miles Davis, the early works, or you listen even later to, to likes of Hebitwaedi's uh, bass, or or Zimgawane's saxophone, or Fairfaku. You know I mean? You could hear that there's pleasure in these melodies, but also there's something that is really troubling because of the pain, of the black pain, of the social death, of the non-being, of the zone in which we are. So you start to see that in David. You know I, mean? I don't know if I'm answering you. So it is that language that on one hand, if I were to use Roland Barthes' notion of the pleasure of the text, the Jewish sons. You'll see it's, there's something beautiful, but also there's something troubling about it. Hey, Tembi. 
Um, I found it interesting when you spoke about the black artist being stuck and being suffocated. And then as a young uh, black artist, one of the arguments I have is even conceptually, a lot of, uh, I find myself, um, yes, I want to speak about uh, the condition of the black body in the world. I'm very interested in that. I want to speak about uh, my environment and how I'm being suffocated. And then I have, there's this counter where like, the art world finds that sexy. Like they want the black artists to speak about their black experience. And then there's something very sick about that for me. But then like how do you engage with those topics and yet also engage with that part of it? You know, how do you how do you come out of that being being stuck in those concepts, in those ways of making, those ways of thinking as a black artist? Justin you must chip in here. Don't allow me to be crucified. I, I think, uh, Teresa, you are coming at a time that the likes of David have done the work for us. And also South Africa is in a different space where I don't think young artists must be obliged to only think about the, the, the social problems. I think artists should be freed, especially younger people, to, free, to want to go to space, to travel to Mars. I think we are in that moment that you know, I mean, when, when I follow the old discourse on Afro-futurist, there's something for me that is revealing. I don't think you should be burdened by the problems that is not our making, as Steve Bigger would say. The problem that South Africa is, is not our making. That's a white problem. They made South Africa to be what the shit is. But yet we are burdened to try to address it all the time. It takes away joy from us. Right? So the, 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 the liberation we fought, the democracy we have... It's not even benefiting us to the great extent that we're supposed to. So what I'm saying to younger people, I think for them, they must take flight. I'm not saying they must be ignorant or blind to social problems. It's, 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 it's then that they're going to offer us other worlds. Because, you know, I mean, if I, like, what I've been reading in novels, there's something so beautiful about the language and the world people are talking about, their own experiences. I want to see that in visual arts. And this is already happening in music. If you follow the young jazz musicians, Sesonke, Konti, Bugane, you just name them, the kind of sounds they're making. It's so beautiful. Yet you would feel that it's South Africa. But they're opening up something. They're conversing with musicians in Europe. They're conversing with musicians in America. But they're beyond this so-called entrapping country. So I do encourage that younger people, they should not be only focusing on problems, but they should not be blind to those problems. If I can just add, I mean, I think also, um, you know, there's sometimes a, sh a shame attached to, to, you know, black artists when they don't focus on the plight of their people or through their work. But I think precisely by finding, you know, these other worlds, you are liberating yourself and your, the community around you. So I, I don't think it's an either or, you know, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, and I agree largely with, with what Tembu is saying. Hi. Um, I've been fortunate enough to be photographing David's work for the last few years through the Goodman Gallery, and it's been amazing how much work. He was incredibly prolific. And so I've got a two-part question. The first is, um, as curators, how did you navigate this abundance of work and how did you make your selections to represent his, his, his life's work? And secondly... Have you noticed any um, 
like thematics in different periods of his life? Um, you know, was he concerned with different things at different phases of his life? Thanks, Anthea. You I think I'll jump in because um, I've, I've probably had the most time, I've spent the most time with David's um, inventory in the last uh, couple of years. Um, I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's been a daunting task. Um, you know, last, last year and earlier this year, we, we did a few trips to David's studio and to David's home, and just the volume of work is incredible. Um, and even, 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 even in David's studio, which hasn't changed largely for, for the last 30 years at the bag factory, um, together with him, I, 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 he was kind of directing me, to, he was kind of remembering almost a, a, as a map all the works that were hidden behind piles of things in his studio. And he was like, and as I pulled out things, they were, he, he could explain and give me a narrative as to what, when he did this work and what it meant to him and, and so on, uh, which was an incredible privilege. To add on that, you should mention in Cape Town, I could see what's so sad when I have to cut some of the artwork out, because I remember, you know, he was like, hey, but what about this team? I said, no, 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 no. No, it was, it, was, it was very challenging. It's true. And I can even say, he will tell you, the delays in just sending the list, the final list. It was not because I was not working. It's just what, what you leave, what you include. Even when we arrive in Cape Town, we're like about 90 works or something. And then we have to cut just the pain of saying we cannot fit everything. So in other words, your question is it's, 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 it's still haunting me. Even now coming here, we are sticking to the, 90, uh, to the 81 works, but we are, we, are, we are switching like few of them. Again, it's difficult which work are going to pull out, which work are going to bring in. So, so, so what you'll be seeing on show is just a fragment of David's work. It's not even a half. We could not fit to a prince. We have to cut things out. And also in terms of themes, we've mentioned here the dogs, we've mentioned the birds. Also, David did beautiful scenes of women. They call it the, the ladies of the night. You know, I mean, the sex workers, if you like it. Those are stunning images of these women, like lipstick at night. And also, you'll see David also painting buildings in terms of just the flickering light. You know, Joburg at night, when you see the light, the buildings. So his, 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 his subject, uh, there's a range of it. But we tend to focus on his Mgudui in most of the time. But there are also these images whereby they're non-figurative, but they're about the city, the scape, and so forth. And I think what, what was interesting is um, we found uh, David was working in his garage up until a, a month or two before the, the retrospective. And we actually decided, well, Temi decided to include these very recent works. And I think these works, uh, they're, very, they're quite different to, to, to everything else he's done. And it was almost prophetic, um, you know, almost like this last chapter. Um, there were these very long canvases, unstretched canvases, um, very expressive sort of paintings um, of human figures dancing, um, sometimes obscured by a lot of, a lot of paint and mark making. Um, but I, I think there was this kind of freedom that, that was being communicated um, in, those last, in that last series. To add on that, by the way, I pump on uh, the critic, Sean O'Toole. He said exactly that. He said, it was so great to see David's late, late works. There was something about joy and happiness, something liberating about it. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm just trying to concur what you're saying, that in those last, last, last paintings, 
to use your word prophetic that you knew maybe life was already you know at its end you could see david becoming lighter as i said earlier his work are really gloomy but with those last painting there's something that is fresh something that is is joyful i just wanted to add on that because that was sean uh, he couldn't make it for the talk he just made that comment as as, as i met him when i was coming here I, th I think maybe that's a good way to to sum or maybe the last sentence from me was that David remained fresh until the end. Are there any more questions? Um, I want to know, maybe this is a question to Goodman as well, about uh, David's legacy and what's happening now, what's going on, like in light and of what's happening to Dumile Feni and his legacy and the drama around that. Um, I would like to know what's happening. Like we know about the exhibitions and the writings, um, but what's the way forward uh, in terms, because I feel like a lot of um, black artists that have died, you know, they, they kind, there's always um, a, a drama afterwards and no one really, there's a lot of confusion. No one knows, really knows what's going on. There's many rumors. So I just want to know what, what is the way forward in terms of his legacy and his estate and everything. Sure. So, so David um, had the foresight to, to sit down with, with the Goodman Gallery long before he passed away to, to plan ahead for the eventuality of his death. Um, not only with himself, with his wife as well, who who's unfortunately couldn't be here because she, she's in church. Uh, but um, so there, there's, you know, there, there, there are certain structures that have been put in place now that um, he's passed on. Uh, there's now a period where the estate has to be wound up. Um, his wife is fully in control of that process. Um, she's got, you know, legal representation. Um, the, the Goodman Gallery is supporting her. In, so she's leading this process with the support of Goodman Gallery. Of course, I haven't been in part of those conversations. If you were to ask me what needs to be done, maybe this is what some of us should propose, is that museum like uh, WEM, Vets Arts Museum, that's where David needs to be represented. I think his legacy needs to be hosted. His work, his writing, his correspondence, his archive, it needs to go to a, a, a museum that is going to allow people further research, is going to allow student access to it, is going to allow the public. And in South Africa, we only have one so far, the museum, which is, there's two in fact, it's the Vets Arts Museum. Of course, there's one in Cape Town like MS10, but the Vets is more public than. So I think that's where I would see David's legacy in, in, in conversation with good men, in conversation with his wife. Similar, for example, when I was reading uh, Ginsberg's collection of the books. So when you read this kind of uh, uh, developments. It gives you joy because people can have access in these books, art books. So I see no reason why David should not be part of. And by the way, Wurtz gave David an honor degree that I have to fight for two years for him to get it. So it is ideal that his legacy to be housed at Wurtz, a university that never invited him to, him to teach, right? And yet most of the lecturers, including Penny, they use Berg Factory. So that, that, will, that will be the way for me, way forward. Of course, in conversation with good men and, 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 and the wife, because I think that, yeah. So just in closing, uh, if any one of you is willing to take it on, can you say something about 
David Golwane as an institution? I think you've sort of touched on it in different facets. But I mean, the panel that we had yesterday talked a great deal about cultural institutions and institutions as material building. For instance, there was a panel on the novel and the Zeitz Mocker. But in David Golwane, one could say we, we have a human institution that has given so much uh, that is yet to give so much still, even in his sleep, right? Can we just elaborate or give us some thoughts on Date um, Kolwane as an institution for the arts? I'll say briefly, and Justin will take the last word. David is an institution, as I said, I mentioned like two, three projects here. The, 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 the Tupelo, I mentioned um, Back Factory, but also David established, uh, there's a scholarship on David that afford younger artists time, three months, to be funded fully, as David would like, for them to work. And that has also been stretched into curatorial at some point. It was a moment also into writing. It's been, like, stretched. So, yes, David, it is an, he is an institution. And uh, as a human institution, it's that we need to nurture. Not only his ideas, the kind of things he left us. You know, I mean, in the curatorial, I use the word, and I quoted B, the gift that South Africa needs to make South Africa a human place. You know, I mean, I think David is that kind of institution. Because for those who've come across him, even when David speaks to you, he wants to tell you, unlike me, he's non-confrontational. He has a way of, right, but yet he'll communicate. So there's a lot that we can learn from David's persona, not only his ideas. So these are things that we are wishing that as we are studying him, also we are studying what he can give us as an institute to answer your question. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd like to echo what, what uh, Temi is saying. In terms of a physical institution that is left behind, I mean, we have the bag factory, it's there, you know. We've got the, the roving Tupelo workshops, which, you know, every once or twice a year occupy a physical space. But in terms of David as an institution, what he leaves behind, for me at least, is this interpersonal... A relationship. Uh, so the institution of a friendship, of mentorship, um, you know, the time that he gave to, to younger artists, to colleagues, without asking for any kind of reciprocation or any kind of compensation. I think that's the institution um, that we need to somehow keep the roof over. Thank you very much for that very interesting panel. May we please give them a round of applause? Thanks again to Tembing Kosikoniwe and Justin Davey and to Art Joburg for arranging this important talk and for allowing me to post it on the Unframed platform for many people to listen to. Please support Unframed by following us on Facebook and Instagram and share the episodes that you like with your friends and networks. If you like what you have been hearing so far, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Facebook. Thanks for joining me today. See you next time. Bye.